Okay, so recently, um, God asked me to do uh, something that was truly, truly sacrificial and truly hard. Like, I do not even know how to explain how impossible it felt for me to do uh, what he asked. And and so it, it got me to thinking about a lot of things and uh, researching a lot of things. And uh, I realized that, uh, I realized a lot of things. But um, I'm going to be going over John 16 today to try to point out some things about kind of the way that we approach God that um, that we believe to be okay, but we are deceived, okay? We are deceived. <sighs> Many times we are intensely deceived because here's, here's how we kind of view it. It's like, I, I mean, the way I want to say it is like, we kind of have God like in our back pocket. Okay. Like we feel like we have a relationship with God because sometimes we talk to him. Um, but usually it's like right before bed or if we're having dinner or if other people are praying, we join in or, um, it can even be like when we're in trouble, Oh God, help me. Okay. So, so it's kind of like this back pocket thing. Now, Try, try to picture the way people are right now. A lot of people, girls and boys, they all they keep their cell phones in their back pocket, in their front pocket. They keep their cell phones in a pocket, right? And every time they need to know something or somebody's like, oh, where is this place? Or how late are they open? Or what's the definition of this word or whatever? We go and we reach in our pocket. We pull it out. Oh, we need to know this information. And we pull out the cell phone and we, and we look it up. Okay. That's kind of what we're doing to God. Like, okay, you're you're going to be kind of just, you know, he, here, you know, with me and everything. But ultimately, you don't deserve to be, you know, in my heart, in my head, in my in my hand even. Um, you know, I don't know you that well. But it's really convenient for you to be right here for me when when I need you so you pull them out of your back pocket you say God please give me this or that or help me with this or that or forgive me for this or that but ultimately you kind of just shove them in the back of your mind whatever again now I'm not accusing anybody of anything I'm saying that by and large um, the church has operated this way for a long time and what I'm getting at is it's because we don't we don't actually suffer anything. We don't actually sacrifice anything to be a Christian. Now, this is not true for everybody, thank goodness. But this is not true for everyone. But I am talking about a mentality that that is prevalent and we need to go ahead and be honest, take an honest look at ourselves. Even if we've had times of having a really deep relationship with God, we need to see, constantly check ourselves if we're slipping back into this mode of like, you know, and, and it can happen for all kinds of reasons. It can be because, you know, you're upset with God, waiting too long for a promise, all this kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Christianity was never meant to be a cakewalk. And the fact that it, it's kind of taught of like, 
oh, he has grace for anything and everything that you want to do. And when you need him, you can expect his promises to be true for you. But ultimately, you can live however you want because you'll have God in your back pocket to take care of, you know, wherever you you slip up. Okay, and you don't have to take any personal responsibility for yourself. You don't have to suffer anything or sacrifice anything or anything like that. This is kind of an unspoken teaching and, and, and maybe it's even spoken. I don't know, but this is the mentality the church has taken on that I think is dangerous. So dangerous. Um, so recently when he asked me to give up something um, that I was very attached to for literally my entire adult life, and and it was a co- it was my coping mechanism. It was <laughs> if you've listened to my podcast before, I mean, I'll just tell you right now, it was smoking. Um, the you know what what he's asked me to do because I've been like, well, God meets me where I'm at as I smoke, and He has, and His grace has been sufficient for me. And it's a beautiful thing. And the words of gratitude that I have, like they would, they just don't even do because he could have cut me off. He could have, he could have let me go. He could have, he could have done all kinds of things, but he had grace. But just like a good parent would ultimately have a boundary look, that's enough. You're done now. The consequences of continuing to make that choice are going to be severe. Not because it's a sin per se, like the act itself, but because it's destroying you. Like Paul said, everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Which means that God may allow something for a time, but there's a time that you have to grow up in him or you will go backwards. And that was the crossroads I came to. That was the the choice that I had. And it literally felt physically impossible, like, to, to get up, to get my cigarettes, to go and destroy them the way that he was showing me that I needed to. I, I could not do it. it. It had me so scared to give up that, that coping mechanism that, like, I, I was having a physical reaction and I, rem- and I remember thinking, I mean, this was just a few days ago, and I remember thinking, I, I, like, how can this have such a strong hold on me to where I feel like I can't? Like, I know I love God more. He's asking me to do this. Like, but I can- how can this be so horrifying to me? Like, it feels like such a big deal. And I'm like, God, can't I just smoke one cigarette a day? Can't I just have them available? Can't I just, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm not doing it that much, all this stuff. And, um, you know, all he said was, if it's not that big of a deal, it shouldn't be hard to give it up. And he showed me really that it was, it was taking his place. It, it was a form of idolatry. Um, you know, yeah, it's not good for the temple and everything, but idolatry is really yuck in God's eyes. And it's one of the 10 commandments. So when he shows you that you're hanging on to something that this life provides, 
over and above what he's asking you to do, like, then we're not following his commands and therefore, you know, we're in, we're in trouble because what the New Testament did was when the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth and, and, and we, we still are, are to follow his commands, you know, and I think that basically means like where he leads us, um, through the Holy Spirit, like obedience to that is so hard. I mean, really, it did feel like the same as when I was a kid and my parents are asking me to do something that like just does not make any sense. And it just feels impossible to obey them. Like, no, that is not right. It's not fair. It's not like I don't even know how to get myself to obey what they said because it doesn't seem like I can give up whatever I would need to give up in order to obey. Well, anyway, so he, he asked me to give him up and, um, I just realized that I I just had to, I realized when, when I'm like, why does this have such a strong hold on me? I realized that what that word was, and I'm like, stronghold, stronghold, stronghold. Okay, people talk about strongholds all the time. Like, oh, the enemy's got me in a stronghold, or they're in a stronghold, or you're in a... Okay, so this is... Oh, it literally means it is a stronghold. I mean, I know strongholds are like a like a war thing, and there's, a, you know, kind of like a fortress type thing that is considered that. But literally in our lives as well, it when it when it is something that is holding on to us very strongly, like more strong than our desire to obey God, I would say that could be considered a stronghold and something we need to get rid of immediately. And let me just tell you, when I did what he asked me to do, when I did what he asked me to do, I cannot even tell you. I literally felt like a transformed person. And I didn't even know if any kind of good feelings would come along with it. I didn't, I can't say I felt like, like good, like, like celebration kind of good. I don't even know how to explain it exactly, but like the freedom in my soul, the freedom in my soul is unexplainable like I felt so free um and I had to say a lot of things right away because I knew that as the moment passed where he was giving me the strength to obey him I knew that moments of doubt you know desire for them again all that kind of stuff would come and so the whole time I did it, I'm like, in my weakness, you have to be strong. He's he's delivering me, but I have to walk in the deliverance in each moment where I am tempted again to go back. And Lord, help me, you know? And 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 that's what I just asked for and declared and begged for. And, and so the last couple of days, he has shown me some incredible things that has just confirmed so strongly Um what he asked me to do and and why and why it's such a good and beautiful thing and that it is a huge part of truly following the one true Christ.
the Messiah who came to the earth, died on the cross, rose again. It is not a cakewalk. He is not a back pocket God that we can just pull out whenever handy after we live however we want in all kinds of comfort, never sacrificing anything, never suffering anything. So I'm going to show you in scripture just how legit this is. I hope you have the heart for wanting to know what following him really looks like because he says here in Matthew 16, what is more valuable than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? There's where the deception is. We think, eh, our soul may or may not matter. I mean, I mean, some people, reincarnation, or as long as you confess God, you'll go to heaven. Or, But, but we kind of think of a, the soul as like, eh, kind of already taken care of or else it doesn't matter or something. I, I, there's so many different mentalities about it, but I'm saying Jesus is revealing that, that our souls is the very thing that him and Satan are in war over. This huge war we're dealing with, good versus evil, uh, the political war, the world wars, the everything else really just comes down to a war over our souls. If we don't understand the worth and the value of our souls, then how in the world are we going to not be deceived and how are we going to make the... The, the right decision on who to follow. Okay. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing stuff. So, so the fickle Christianity that demands that God show up with um, a sign, <laughs> you know? Like, we want the miracles, and we want, you know, this back pocket thing. Pull them out, get them to do something, and we move on, you know. And and maybe we even give God the credit, but ultimately, we haven't even sacrificed our favorite show for a little bit of time with him, okay? Am I talking to somebody or what? All right. <laughs> Is this not true? Let's get going with this, Okay. So in chapter 16, verse 4, he says, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. You know, I got to thinking about that. Okay, and and Jesus is actually upset because it says then that he left them and went away. I mean, that had to be kind of a discussion of disgust, I would think, um, because right after he did a bunch of healings, feeds the 4,000 and all that, then they're asking him for a miraculous sign to prove that he's the Messiah. He's a little disgusted. Um, so he says, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. What does he mean? Okay. Full destruction. Put you in the belly of a whale. I don't think that that's a good thing. I think it means if you want a sign that I'm God, then I can just take take you out like this isn't good you know don't test me don't test me um 
because God's doing all this stuff and basically like whiny little babies. It's not enough. It's not enough. I mean, Jesus is doing all these miracles. And then they get to him and they're like, give us a, give us a sign. Like they've heard about these miracles already, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Give us a sign. Show us. Prove yourself. You know, if you're the son of God, get down from that cross. You know, there's these tauntings, these testings. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's, faith is a sacrifice, okay? Because it's a risk. Like you, you, you are risking um, looking like you are a fool for believing something. Okay? Unless, of course, your faith is so solid and so strong that you absolutely know that God would never let you look like a fool. David said in Psalm 25, don't let me be put to shame. Don't let me be put to shame. He knows there's a risk there. There's a risk there that if God doesn't come through, that, you know, he could look stupid for putting his faith in God. But so you don't go in demand of God, you know, show me something so that I don't have to take any risk of putting my faith out there. Okay. So this disgusts Jesus and he left them and went away. And immediately, uh, he crossed over with his disciples. And the first thing he says to his disciples is be aware of the yeast or, uh, another word for it would be the deception of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're arguing about bread, but he actually, um, he, he actually doesn't even, I, I mean, it says here that, that, you know, they realized that they had forgotten to bring any bread. This minute bread was, was mentioned. Jesus says, watch out, watch out and be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he's, he's trying to change the subject seemingly to what was just on his mind. The fact that he just had to walk away so upset with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're talking about how they forgot the bread and he's still thinking about that. So this indicates further that he's really, he's, he's so sad and so frustrated that, that people don't get it. That, that there's, that this is a two way relationship, a two way street Jesus came to show us the way. We need to have faith that he is who he says he is. Man, this is beautiful stuff, guys, if you can get this. So his mind is still on what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were demanding of him, and he is warning his disciples out of love. Please, please do not let them deceive you. Don't be like them, you know? Like <laughs> Jesus wants, he wants us, his people, to be solid with who he is and with the fact that we have chosen his side. We have chosen to actually follow him. So this whole chapter is actually just one thing after another uh, on this theme because the very next part um, in verse 13 uh, down through 20, he's talking about... Um, you know, who, Peter, like, who, who do you guys say that I am? Peter gives the right answer. Jesus says on this rock, the rock of the words that he said, like Peter was saying, without 
the proof, without the, you know, show me another sign kind of attitude that the Pharisees and Sadducees had just said or just demanded of Jesus. Peter says, you are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, only the Father could have revealed this to you, so you're blessed. So these words alone, I'm building my church on. In other words, the people who have the faith to believe that I am the Messiah, without the miraculous signs, without, you know, the people who can, the people who realize I'm real when they can't see the tangible thing, when they realize that their soul is what's at stake here, and that's not the tangible thing. You know, getting past our humanness enough to realize that this entire war is something that's not tangible, but the value of it is so far beyond what anything tangible could ever be. This is why he says, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, your natural ways, your tangible ways, the things that you for your flesh want, okay? Take up your cross. You know what that means? Suffer a little. Sacrifice. Sacrifice your cup of coffee. Sacrifice whatever he asks you to do. Um, and depending on where you are in your walk with God, I mean, he desires mercy over sacrifice. Yes. But there comes a point where we grow up in him enough that we are, we are able to take on his suffering with him. Okay. He asks us to, it's a privilege we get to have. Okay. And follow me. And then he continues to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you know, the tangible stuff, you will lose it. But if you give up those things, give up what you feel like is your life for his sake, then you will save your life, your eternal life. And what do you benefit uh, if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? So you know he's talking about your eternal life is what you gain because he goes into, you know, the, the, the talk about the soul. And he says, if in, is anything worth more than your soul? If it is, name it. You know what I mean? Is anything worth more than your soul? And if we walk through life with that perspective of every choice that I make is, is leaning towards where my soul is going to be. It, it's, it's helping one <laughs> side or the other that is fighting over my soul. Um, then I think some of our choices would definitely be different. So if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what have you gained? Because nothing is worth more than your soul. And so on one hand, this is really heavy because there comes a point where we just need to realize that we either are actually going to follow him or we are going to BS ourselves into thinking we're following him because after all, he's in our back pocket when we need him. Um, and he he's so good. He has grace for that for a while. Um, sometimes, but when he pulls you to the next level, oh, be careful not to say no. Guys, I have experienced saying no. It's not that big of a deal. His grace will cover me. It's not a big deal. 
and then I can't hear him as good. And then it's like he's further away. And if you think about it, in a real relationship, that would make total, total sense. I I mean, not a real relationship, but I'm talking about like a natural, tangible one with another person. Obviously, our relationship with God is the most real kind you could ever have. But if, if, okay, so say my husband is like, you know, hey, would you mind uh, bringing in the water for me or something like that? And I just go, ah, nah. I either, I could say no, or I could just kind of walk away like I ain't doing that or whatever. Um, how, how is my husband going to feel towards me if he's ignored or if he's, you know, uh, maybe it's time to pull back from her. That was rude. You know what I mean? Like we are made in his image. You think he doesn't feel that way when we just kind of like, Oh, you don't mean it. I'll go do what I want. You know, I like, no, he's, I, I don't know if God, I mean, I'm pretty sure God hurts. Okay. He's sweat drops of blood, but I'm saying he's more real than our husbands and our wives and our brothers and our sisters and our people in relationship with that. If we would ignore them when they have a request, uh, well, chances are they would pull away from us or they would, you know, if they're super needy or whatever, they would hound us even more for a while, but sooner or later. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And if you want to hear God's voice more clearly, we can't keep ignoring him. We can't keep saying, oh, next week, maybe tomorrow. Um, I'll do that later because I've gotten to the point where his voice was scaringly faint. Scaringly faint. And I had to, uh, I had to turn away from that. And I had to beg for quite some time that he not take his Holy Spirit from me. Like David begged. <laughs> that he would come back and try again to tell me these things. And when he did, he asked something pretty intense of me. Um, cigarettes wasn't the only thing he asked me to give up that day. I, I, I realized there was two things that had a strong hold on me and they were taking, uh, I had been behaving as though I wanted those things more than to hear his voice wanted those things more than to be close to him and I had to get rid of them because that is not what I want and I had to I had to show him that that there is none like him and there is nothing that I desire on earth besides him and so I hope this has helped and it's great to be back and talk to you guys again um I'm right in there with you guys Let's get serious. Let's grow up. Let's hear our shepherd. And let's be there for each other. Walk in love. Till next time.